How's it going, movie lovers? Welcome back to Under the Scene. This is our second episode, and we'll be diving into Back to the Future. Uh, before we get into this episode, I just want to thank every single person who supported this podcast so far. I know we're only the first episode in and now going on episode two, but I really appreciate everything everyone's done. Um, and because of you guys, you could officially listen to this podcast on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast. Another thing, uh, there will be spoilers for all three films, um, but if you have not seen them, I highly recommend going to go watch them. They are fantastic movies and by far my favorite trilogy of all time. Um, so to start off, uh, before we get into it, I'd just like to talk about Robert Zemeckis, um, who is the beautiful mind behind all three films. Um, if you don't know who Robert Zemeckis is, he is the director of Back to the Future 1, 2, 3, and he's also been a director for Castaway, Polar Express, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Contact, Forrest Gump, and Flight. And there's so many more movies to go off of, but I can't go through the whole list in in one podcast. That would be a separate episode just dedicated to him. Um, he's also set to be the director of Pinocchio, Disney's live action movie starring Tom Hanks. And the producer with the possibility of directing Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the sequel. Uh, the one thing I really do love about Robert Zemeckis is that he makes movies that are very, very original and uh, and end up being popular uh, to so many people and sometimes being an iconic film in Hollywood, uh, which I love. I find nowadays most Hollywood movies are going to the root revolving around um, multiple sequels, um, remakes, and then movies also based on video games and board games, which I feel like that's what they expect everyone to see and want to see. Um, but it's the originality that I really like from Robert Zemeckis and all his films that um, make me want to watch them more often. He's just an all-around amazing, amazing director. Uh, another big thing is they added on the composer Alan Silvestri. Um, now, if you don't know who that is, he is the main composer for movies such as The Abyss, uh, Back to the Future 1, 2, and 3, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Forrest Gump, Contact, uh, Captain America, The First Avenger, and then as well as The Avengers Infinity War, Endgame, and The Original Avengers. And then he's also set to be the composer for Pinocchio. So needless to say, these two work so well together and create some great stuff. Um, so they had two fantastic powerhouse uh, figures on the films, and it made the movie ten times better. Um out of this world so as i said back to the future is in my opinion the best trilogy of all time uh to me and we're actually going to rank the films right now um and when i say rank i'm gonna say which one came in third for me but i still enjoyed every single film so i don't want you know this list saying oh third place is like the worst it's just my least favorite out of all three films and my opinion has changed throughout the years as I've rewatched them, and it'll probably change again. But in third place is uh, Back to the Future 3. And what Back to the Future 3 is, is more of a, a Western-style film. It, it stepped away from the original uh, storyline for once, which was great. And I know Back to the Future 2 and 3 were uh, filmed back-to-back, actually on uh, on the same budget 
um, which which was crazy. So they literally went back to back filming, and it, it tied the story in basically perfectly when you watch the films, as they tend to do. Um, so uh, the budget for this film was an estimated forty million dollars, and opening weekend only made nineteen mil, and then worldwide grossed two hundred forty four million dollars total, and uh, it came out in May of nineteen ninety. So it was a 90s film, and it was basically Marty McFly finds out about uh, the death of Doc Brown in 1885. So when he gets stranded in 1955 from the second film, he then has to find a way to get to 1885. So further in the past, and he's got to travel back in time to save Doc Brown. Um, the issue is there's no fuel for the DeLorean, and they have to figure out how to escape an old western before uh, Doc Brown is murdered. What I really enjoyed, though, about this film and what makes it good, um, and as the years go on, this movie ends up becoming better and better, so it might actually move up on my list, uh, surprisingly enough, is just that the story finally just, um, it's all about Doc Brown. Uh, so the first two films, we, we watch Marty, and then we watch how he's got to, you know, figure out his timeline and fix things. This time, yeah, Marty's there, and he's got to save Doc Brown. But the whole point is Doc Brown ends up finding a love interest and the story's all about him. So we got to save Doc Brown. Uh, he finds a love interest and he's the main character in this Western film. And it's it's phenomenal. Um, we still get Biff Tannen, uh, but in this case is uh, Buford Mad Dog Tannen. So we still have him. Um, we also have uh, get the chance to see... Uh, Leah Thompson play Maggie McFly again, and Marty McFly also is, well, sorry, Michael J. Fox plays Marty McFly as well as uh, Seamus McFly. The issue with that and why this movie kind of slacked a bit on that part was they still played on that incest kind of feeling because um, in the first movie, Leah Thompson plays Lorraine McFly, which is Marty McFly's mother, and then in this movie, she plays Maggie McFly, which is his great, great, <clears throat> great, great grandmother. And it's just, you. there's so much of a resemblance because Seamus McFly, his great, great grandfather, looks exactly like Marty. And his great, great grandmother looks exactly like Lorraine. <laughs> so in a way, they kind of played that like that and it wasn't really, really good. <clears throat> but all in all it was a fantastic movie it was a different aspect we saw a clint eastwood kind of style film where it's all a western um we see ties to the second film where um he puts a metal metal pan under his vest when biff goes to go uh, sh uh shoot him and punch him he hits the pan which is from the clint eastwood uh films and it was all in all, all a beautiful movie the um the writing was good. Uh, it's just it felt like it was it was rushed in a way just because it was back to back with the second film. Um, and another upsetting thing was we managed to lose the DeLorean at the end of this movie. When they go back to the present time, um, the DeLorean ends up on train tracks as that's the whole premise of how they get up to 80 miles per hour. And uh, the DeLorean gets smoked by a train and we end up losing such an iconic, um, you know, piece of movie. And we realize that uh, we're never going to get another Back to the Future because there's no more DeLorean. Um, other than that, um, it was it, it's really just the bottom of my list just because 
Uh, when I first saw it, I just thought, okay, well, now they're just fishing for an idea, so they go even further back in time and and all that. But as I watch it now, and I keep watching it, it, it gets better and better. Uh, we see the clock tower being built in this film, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, Doc Brown, like I said, gets a love interest, so mainly focuses on him. Um, if you enjoy Western movies, you'll really love this one because it's more of like a uh, an, an, uh, comedic uh, Western, not your typical Western. Um, and um, it was just all, all in all fantastic for, for an ending of a trilogy. Usually, by the time you get to the third movie, they kind of get worse and worse. Where this one is primarily everyone's second favorite film. Um, in this case, it's third on my list, but for most people, it is the second best film just because it was so different. Uh, we're not getting something that's the exact same. Another thing that we get from this film is it really focuses on Seamus McFly telling Marty that he's got to stop worrying about what people think about him and calling him, uh, you know, like a yellow belly chicken, all that stuff. He tells him to control his temper, which we see throughout both films is you know uh the first two is that no one calls him a chicken and it's throughout his his dad is like that his he's like that and then in the future he's even like this so we see it everywhere uh, and this was the first film where uh Seamus tells him you got to stop telling uh stop listening to what people think about you and it's just an, an all in all good mes uh, message that they they fit into this film as a whole it was it was something different totally and uh well worth watching uh, so that's number three on my list. Uh, like I said, it could move up, potentially, but uh, I'm going to have to keep watching this trilogy throughout my lifetime, and then we'll see where my list stands then. Uh, coming in number two, now this could be interchangeable, um, but we're going to go with Back to the Future number two. So as you can see, we have gone in order. Um, three, two, one is my order for at least a favorite. But number two is, like I said, interchangeable. Number one, depending on the day. Um, the reason why number two is here and can be number one is because I personally love this film. Uh, the introduction of the future, uh, which was October 21st, 2015, uh, is the year that's introduced as the future for them as they were from, uh, 85. And this was again, uh, supposed to be a movie that was a reshot right after the first film. The issue is the first film came out in, uh, 1985 and the second movie came out in 1989 so four years later a bit of a time gap so we have michael j fox looking a little bit older uh same with doc brown looking a little bit older so everyone had that aging now they had to reshoot the ending of the first film and the beginning of the second film because in a way the first film ends with the beginning of the second film so the second film needed a reshoot the issue with this is they ended up having to recast um, uh, Jennifer Parker, who is Michael J. Fox's uh, girlfriend in the movie. So the original one was uh, Claudia Wells, who played Jennifer Parker. In the second movie, sadly enough, her mother ended up getting, uh, had to get, uh, she had cancer. So she pulled out of her acting career for family reasons, which is... No problem there. So she told the studio she wouldn't be uh, available to reprise a role as Jennifer Parker in Back to the Future for the two sequels. 
So she was uh, replaced by uh, Elizabeth Shue, who replaced her, who did a fantastic job as well. Anyways, both of the actresses did. It's just they had to reshoot the entire first scene, um, as well as adding a clip of Biff seeing the DeLorean as it's time traveling, uh, which is now flying because they're going to the future, which is that famous line where we're going, we don't need roads. All in all, a great film. So this movie, uh, like I said, came out in 1989, um, had the, the same budget of $40 million. I believe the $40 million was split between the two films. I don't know if they had $20 million for each or a bit more or if it was 40 each. Um, but this one had an opening weekend of $27 mil, so a lot better than the third film did. And then uh, worldwide of $331 million, almost 332 So all in all, it did better than the third film. I guess just because maybe people then were t- more tired of it. But as time got on, they kind of switched orders in, in, uh, in rating. I feel like if these movies came out now... Number three might be higher up as of now. Uh, so number two is after visiting 2015, which is the future, Marty McFly must repeat his revisit to 1955 to prevent um, changes to 1985 without interfering with his first trip. So that's why I love this film so much. So we end up seeing them go to uh, October 2015 and they see the whole future where he's got to stop his son from doing any uh, criminal intentions with Biff and end up going to jail. And we get to see Biff as a a bully in the future. And all in all, this is wicked. So we get a repeat of uh, a chase scene um, against Biff and Marty as well. We get the introduction of everything futuristic from Jaws, literally 3D. I think they were on like movie 20 something, which is a hilarious jab at Jaws because they ended up making, I believe, five movies or four. And... The last ones were outrageous, so they kept going, which was hilarious. Um, and we get to see the introduction of a hoverboard, which we never really got a real, real hoverboard as they did in 2015. And we are now in 2021, and our hoverboards still have wheels. So they got the years wrong. Um, they also added, which is probably the most iconic sneaker in any single movie in history as of right now is the Power Laces Nike Air Mags that were purposely made for that film. And what they were were Nike Air Mags with lights, and when you put his boot on, they would... (laughs) Sorry. uh, When they put the boot on, they would tighten themselves. Uh, That became an icon in itself where Michael J. Fox released those shoes for his Parkinson's disease, uh, the Michael J. Fox Foundation, and they sold for hundreds of thousands of dollars and people are reselling them for even more and it's just a crazy shoe and if anyone ever got their hands on them it was it was insane it's probably the best movie prop you could get in history it they're so rare they're so very few and then nike released recently i i believe it was two or three years ago he actually released power lacing nike air mags so you would put your foot in press the button and they would they would tighten themselves to your foot, which is insane. So we finally reached that milestone. We were a few years off on that 2015, um, you know, time frame, but we finally got there now, and it's it's cool. So we'll see where the future leads us. But uh, Robert Zemeckis got got a couple things wrong on 2015. So 
the reason why I love this movie so much is, yeah, we go to the future, we see his himself in the future and everything like that. Um, again, dealing with that whole nobody calls me chicken aspect and he doesn't want to be a, um, a failure and everything like that. He ends up going and finding a sports almanac, which is betting throughout every single year of major sporting events. And he wants to take this back to the present with him and make some bets because he'll end up being rich. And Doc Brown convinces him not to. You don't want to meddle with anything. You know what I mean? Don't take this. So he throws it out. Biff ends up finding it. So as they're dealing with the whole sun issue, Biff ends up taking the DeLorean. Old old grandfather Biff <laughs> in, in 2015 ends up taking the sports almanac, taking the DeLorean, going back to the past. And by ba- by going back to the past, I mean 1955 the past, gives it to young Biff who then makes millions and millions of dollars off all these bets and then goes back and brings the DeLorean back for Doc and Marty. When Marty and Doc go back to 1985, they notice the timeline's off. And this ends up taking the movie to a darker turn um, than the first and third movie ever were. And it was so dark that you know there was a lot of killing and it was basically like Biff became sort of like a, 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 a bad dictator and he owned the world and he ended up marrying Lorraine so George McFly never got to go to the dance with Lorraine and do everything Biff just took over Hill Valley and it was a, a crime crime hotspot so Biff uh, Marty ends up going to go see Biff at his casino penthouse there and Biff explains that uh, some old man came up to him, says he was his great ancestor, and gave him a book and told him that, you know, you got to start betting on all this stuff or whatever. And that whole concept was just so cool because it shows what happens when you meddle with the timeline and um, how how drastically things could change. And it was absolutely incredible to see that. So Marty then has to go back to 1955 right, where the first movie took place, he has to change the new past with not affecting their original past. And if you don't know what I mean by that, in the first film, they end up going back to 1955. That's the whole concept. And in the second film, Marty has to go back again and stop Biff from using the sports almanac and changing the whole future for himself, as well as not running into his original self And that's in 1955, trying to get his parents back together. And I could see why people end up putting this third, because it's very much all over the place. As in, you're going from the future to present to past to present again. And it's it's all over the place with, with that aspect. So I don't blame people for putting it third. I just personally like it as my second favorite just because of that reason. As in, you're going to the future, and it's a great, great aspect of the future. You know, we see him go back to Hill Valley, but it's all futuristic. Then he's got to go back to the past and fix everything without running into his other self that's there. Um, so it was a great concept. I personally enjoyed it 
um, very much. It could be my number one on the list if it wasn't so all over the place. Um, and you're also going up against Back to the Future 1, which was just a fantastic movie. Um, and then what I like about this one is at the end of the film, uh, Doc sends Marty back to the present time. We see that same scene. But now in this case, you see Marty McFly run out of the background from the other timeline and Doc's freaking out. And there was a lot of comedy in this one, a lot of dark humor as well. So it was it was very good. It, it combined all of it together and uh, it, it led straight into the third movie. Like I said, they shot back to back. So it was a, a fluent movie. If you watch two and three in one whole go, it's it's perfect. They flow absolutely perfect. So that's number two, and it sits at number two on my list, possibly number one, but everything's subject to change at that point. Now, going into number one on my list, we have the original Back to the Future. Now, this movie by far is 10 out of 10. I have no issues with this film whatsoever. Uh, like I said, the directing was perfect. The script was phenomenal. Uh, the concept of the movie was original and great, and it's something I've always talked about as a kid with with my parents and I still bring it up is I always tell them what if I had that chance to grow up when they grew up in a way um, just because things nowadays um, I'm not so crazy about like our music uh, nowadays isn't the same as it was back then look at the films they got back then um, and everything like that so when I grow up we get different stuff of course uh, different stuff but I've always wondered what it would be like if I grew up with them in the past um, so I've always talked about it and this movie showcases that you get Marty McFly from 1985 uh, just a random you know 17 year old kid who accidentally gets sent back 30 years uh, to 1955 and gets to see his parents as teenagers and follow them along and and see that whole timeline so that was pretty cool from them now a couple fun facts about this movie because this movie was fantastic it had a couple hiccups before the movie actually uh, was released was it was originally actually uh, supposed to be called Spaceman from Pluto. Uh, one of the Universal executives sent a memo out to producers saying that he didn't understand the name of the movie. He thought it was a bit confusing. He didn't know how one goes back to the future. He thought that was totally confusing. So he offered a suggestion that the film should be called Spaceman from Pluto. Now, hearing that, I don't think this trilogy would have skyrocketed as much as it did and been uh, a staple in film history if it was spaceman from pluto one two and three so i'm very grateful that uh, steven spielberg decided we're not going to go with that uh thanks for the joke it was funny but no thank you um so that was the uh one of the titles it could have been but they kept back to the future um this film had a 19 million dollar budget so Either it was just the same as the other two films, because I don't recall if they were $20 million each or if it was $40 million for both. But it was just under that because they didn't need so many special effects. And um, opening weekend, it got uh, $11 million. And then worldwide, $381 million. So didn't get as much world... Uh, no, sorry. It, it beat both films uh, worldwide. Uh, crushed them by a $50 million uh, gap in the, between the first and the second and it was just phenomenal so they barely beat it in the uh the opening weekend they they were short but worldwide it was it was phenomenal and on a 19 million dollar budget movie you gross 381 worldwide 
that's that's pretty good. Oh, that's that's not bad at all, at all. Um, another crazy uh, fact for you guys quickly is that Eric Stoltz was the original uh, person to play Marty McFly. Uh, so Michael J. Fox was the first choice, um, but the issue was he was filming. Uh, family ties and the producers wouldn't let him take a break from that to go and film back to the future So Robert Zemeckis was forced to go with his second choice Eric Stoltz um, And during this they filmed five weeks of back to the future with Eric Stoltz So if you go online, you can actually find I don't know fully if there's footage There might be some stock footage you can see but there's images and everything of Eric Stoltz in scenes um, of back to the future and it's just a totally different movie when you look at it. Now, seeing the photos, I feel like it could have been played, but he looks so much cooler and more of a serious person than Michael J. Fox did. So I don't know if if he would have been a good fit for the whole trilogy. Um, so you see a bunch of, of pictures on Google. If you go look up Eric Stoltz in um, Back to the Future, he's there. So for five weeks, they shot Eric Stoltz. And Robert decided uh, he's way too serious for the role. We can't have this. And a lot of times people found him annoying. Now the issue with that is Eric Stoltz was a, a method actor. Which meant he pretended to be Marty even when he was offset. And it aggravated a lot of actors apparently. Because he even demanded people call him uh, Marty. Throughout the entire process of filming. And a lot of people did not like that at all. So... Uh, after those five weeks, Robert said, sorry, this isn't going to work out. And they managed to get Michael J. Fox on the project. And personally, I can't say it's the best decision ever because even if they casted someone else, who knows how the trilogy wouldn't, uh, would have went. But as of right now, I have to say it was the, it was the best decision, uh, for what I have seen because Michael J. Fox is fantastic and he played the role perfectly. I couldn't imagine someone else playing it but then again if it was someone else who knows if i'd be saying the exact same thing about that um so back to the future one uh was marty mcfly like i said he gets sent back to um 1955 and he gets to see his parents grow up as teenagers the whole cool concept about this one and kind of gross in a way is he ends up taking his father's place in this timeline so he runs into his father and what happens with his father is he's a peeping Tom. He falls out of a tree. And Lorraine's father, Sam Baines, ends up hitting him with a car and bringing him inside. And that's where Lorraine and George actually meet. Where in this case, when Marty goes back to the past, he ends up seeing George uh, interfering with that. And Sam hits Marty with the car. Now, the issue with that is Marty goes inside and meets Lorraine. That was supposed to be George. What's gross is Lorraine back then, of course, is a teenager. She hasn't had Marty yet because she doesn't know George. But in that timeline, it's Marty and she's falling in love with Marty. Or in this case, she, he calls, um, you know, Calvin because he's wearing Calvin Klein underwear. <laughs> so... um. She ends up falling in love with him, which is kind of gross because, you know, that's mother and son. But at that point, they didn't know. So you could kind of see why. And they just played it off in that way, which some viewers would think is gross. But in some ways, it was kind of a comedic turn on things. And it was, it was a really good concept um, in a whole. 
Um, so the movie from start to begin, uh, beginning to end, sorry, had uh, great comedy. The script was beautifully written. Uh, as like I said, I didn't find really any any fault in this. Uh, we have every single original character in this uh, film portrayed beautifully by every actor. So you got Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, Leah Thompson, Crispin Glover, and then Thomas F. Wilson, who put in fantastic work. And this is where we see Claudia Wells, who played Jennifer Parker, the original uh, person to play Marty McFly's girlfriend. Um, all did a fantastic job. Um and it was, I guess, back then, I could say it was kind of relatable, the whole teenager aspect of everything, because whoever grew up in that that time uh, could relate more than I would, because I wasn't around in the 80s or the 50s. Um, but I would assume that's what life was. You see, you know, these two, these two teenagers originally with Marty and, and Jennifer, and, you know, he wants to go on a date with her and all this stuff and take his car up to the the mountains and and you know do all that stuff so i guess in a way that's very relatable to to some people of course like i said i can't really relate to that in a way but everything about it was just was perfect uh, the movie was was absolutely amazing from beginning to end you have an iconic time traveling car uh the delorean which universal managed to save john delorean's life in a way because um he was the creator of DMC-12 there, the DeLorean. And uh, the car company was going downhill. Um, and it was actually going out of business. And he was dealing with this whole lawsuit and possibly going to prison for drug-related issues, which I'm not going to get into because that's a whole other topic and a whole, um, which isn't for this podcast. We're here for movies and TV so they took a DeLorean, which was an out-of-this-world car. When you look at that vehicle, it's something you don't see anywhere. And they took it and decided to make that the vehicle of time travel, which is now one of the top five iconic vehicles from a movie of all time, in my, in my opinion. Again, it's just something that anytime someone says the DeLorean, it's the first thing that you go to is Back to the Future. You don't talk about the actual car company itself. You go straight to Back to the Future. The, uh, the other thing is, a uh, fun fact, is the original concept for the time machine was actually supposed to be a refrigerator. <laughs> so they wanted to go with a time tra uh, chamber, as they called it. And the reason why, one, they didn't do it is because... They feared the fact that kids might actually go inside this refrigerator and end up getting locked up because um, some fridges back then would not open from the inside at all and kids couldn't. So it was going to be very dangerous. Um, I'm also happy because if you look at a lot of time travel movies, it's usually something that is a stationary object that ends up being a time machine whether it's the chamber a capsule anything like that so it was good to see something different where we got um a vehicle that you could drive around and then once you hit that 88 mile per hour whatever's on that dashboard is where you, what when you're going i can't say where you're going i say when you're going so it was very cool um that they used a, a vehicle instead of uh the chamber so i'm, I'm happy for that point and then last but not least, um, 
Back to the Future 1 brought us three iconic songs from this film. Uh, the first one being The Power of Love by Huey Lewis and the News, um, which is a fantastic song. It's right in the opening of the movie. Um, great introduction. It's fantastic. And it was a beautifully written song. Uh, the next we also get Back in Time, also written by uh, Huey Lewis and the News, um, which is a song, I believe, just written for this film. It was basically a, gr a, a great song written for this movie because, one, it's, it, it's all about time travel, that song. And it was a, a powerful song in a way because it was connected so much to the film. And then last but not least, uh, they re-brought back Chuck Berry's Johnny Be Good. Um, a fantastic song. It's used in the dance scene where Marty's on stage with the Starlighters and he's performing with them and he goes, just follow my lead. And it's performed actually by Mark Campbell because Michael J. Fox isn't a, a musician. He's just an actor. So it was performed by Mark Campbell and it was beautiful. It was an absolute great rendition of the song um, with a slight twist as Marty wants to be a musician in the present time. He gets a chance to play guitar and he's performing Johnny Be Good beautifully and he ends up breaking in this in intense rock guitar solo that is set for the 80s as that's where rock, that kind of style of rock was more popular. He ends up breaking into that kind of guitar solo and everyone at the dance was very confused as to what is happening. Um, it was absolutely brilliant. Uh, it was cool just to see how, you know, times have changed from the 50s to the 80s and it was it was a hilarious um hilarious moment because you can listen to music now from the 50s and 80s where we have that option but back then of course you didn't hear music from the future you weren't it was uh, impossible as is now um so it was just funny as everyone was like what the hell is this guy playing and for marty it was normal so he goes you know you know you'll hear about that one day so all in all uh, number one spot goes to Back to the Future 1. Robert Zemeckis nailed these movies perfectly. It ended up bringing uh, a ride to Universal, an animated series which first featured Bill Nye before he got Bill Nye the Science Guy, um, a video game series, and uh, an all-in-all, -all, uh, an iconic trilogy in Hollywood history. And as I said, my opinion, the best trilogy of all time is back to the future i appreciate everybody for listening uh, you can go subscribe and follow my podcast on apple podcast spotify and google podcast follow us on instagram at, at underscore under the scene as well as twitter at underscore under the scene and uh give me some feedback any topic you'd like to talk me uh want me to talk about any movie or tv show you'd like me to see and uh review leave me a comment leave me a uh uh, private message or a dm on any of my social medias i will answer them and we will try to get reviews out as soon as possible um thank you guys once again for listening and all the support and uh we'll see you next time thank you